So, um, so is it, it was at a Catholic elementary school where the students were lined up for lunch, and one of the nuns had put a sign on a big basket or arrangement of apples that said, take only one, God is watching. And a little bit further down the line, there were a tray of chocolate chip cookies. And one of the kids had written a sign in front of that tray that said, take all that you want, God's watching the apples. <laughs> Thank you for that one, yeah. I heard that today and just thought that was really good. Uh, this week I heard it. <laughs> uh, I, I thought that was cool. Uh, our message this week is um, salt and light. Salt and light. And the series is the sermon. And we could say the Sermon on the Mount, but this is the sermon. This is where Jesus speaks of the characteristics of those who are members of the kingdom of God. Uh, someone had said, Ray Comfort in his evangel evangelistic Bible said this, that the Sermon on the Mount was the most powerful of evangelistic weapons. It's the greatest evangelistic sermon ever preached by the greatest evangelist who ever lived. The straight edge of God's law reveals how crooked we are. Verse 3, for example, said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you know, those who are not followers of Jesus are not necessarily poor in spirit. In fact, they're proud, self-righteous, and boastful. Verse 4 tells us, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, that is. And yet those who are not followers of Christ don't necessarily mourn over their sin. In fact, they celebrate it. We live in a city where people spend a whole lot of money to come and celebrate their sin. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. And we know that those who are not true followers of Jesus uh, are not necessarily meek or lowly in heart. In fact, that's not a quality characteristic in the lives of folks outside of the body of Christ. Verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And those who are non-believers in Jesus uh, don't really have a frame of reference for uh, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In fact, uh, uh, most of the righteousness that they muster up is a self-righteousness, something that has a motive attached to it. Uh, in verse 7, the Lord says, Blessed are the merciful. And the world can be at times a little bit shallow in its ability to show true mercy. Uh, the world by nature is cruel and vindictive and mercy. So often there's a motive or an agenda behind it. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the heart of those who are unregenerate, that is, haven't been regenerated by the Lord Jesus Christ, is not pure. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are wicked, uh, desperately wicked, all of us. That's the nature of our heart. And if we look in the mirror long enough, we with that. Uh, doesn't necessarily make us good or bad people. It's just a condition that we have. And it is true. And we ended with a heavenly perspective on suffering and righteousness for His namesake. Suffering and righteousness for His namesake. Do you know that China, Christianity in China is 40% more dangerous than it used to be not too long ago? According to a 2012 annual report by China Abe, China's persecution of Christians has increased by 40% since 2011. At the same time, the number of Christians who are imprisoned because of their faith has increased 125%. Uh, 
China AIDS report examined 132 persecu persecution cases involving 4,919 people. Beijing's fears, uh, Beijing fears a higher authority and is horrified by any group that is able to organize, particularly around an ideology or a belief. The report concluded. And there are guesstimates about how many Christians there are in China, but nobody knows because they're underground. And they are flourishing. And, and they are seeing themselves not just as missionaries to their own nation, but they're seeing themselves as missionaries to other nations as well. God's moving in China. And yet it's 40% more dangerous than it was just even a few years ago. And so live your life according to the Sermon on the Mount. You can expect opposition. Uh, you can expect some difficulty. The Lord also spoke about the coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that was at hand and the one that was to come in the future, that is to come in the future. Uh, the kingdom of God implies necessarily the removal of other kingdoms because the kingdom of God comes with violence and conflict. It comes with triumph over an enemy. In the parable of the strong man, Jesus said, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man, then indeed his house can be plundered. And Jesus was speaking about the superiority of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of Satan, and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm the strong man, and I'll bind Satan, and I'll plunder all his goods. That's what he was saying there. Jesus, in his exorcism of evil spirits, is engaged in a conflict with Satan, the prince of demons. This conflict and Jesus' victory is a clear sign that the kingdom of God had come and that it, that it was at hand. Jesus said, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And that suggests an assault and intensity of battle, frontline conditions, as this kingdom continues to march forward against the dominion and the powers of this age. Now, at our leadership conference that we went to, Bill Hybels, pastor of um, Willow Creek Church, said this, that the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. And that God does not have a plan B. Look around you, church. Whether you feel like it or not, you are the hope of the world. You are the one that the Lord will use to bring about His kingdom in our realm, in our scope of influence. You are. Thank you for that spontaneous applause, mostly held to this section over here. <laughs> Appreciate that. Sometimes it makes its way across, sometimes it doesn't. But hopefully by the end of the message, it might wake way on across, you know. I, I'm feeling led to do a wave right now, but if I did, I'd start at this end, though, and kind of work this way, but I'm not sure what would happen in a couple of sections, so we'll just keep on moving, moving on, okay? All right. Salt and light. There was a custom in ancient Arabia called uh, a custom of covenant, uh, a salt of covenant, where if you wanted to make an agreement or a covenant with someone, you would eat food that contained a whole lot of salt in it. And the Arabic word for salt and for covenant or compact or treaty is the same word. Uh, salt was added to the various offerings in the Old Testament in Leviticus 
uh, at the altar. In Leviticus 2.13, it says, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt, and you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So the Lord was like, when you come into the temple and you bring an offering, bring some salt with you. <laughs> it's funny. This is interesting. Well, that salt represented a pure covenant because salt stays pure in its chemical compound. It represented an enduring covenant because salt makes things persevere and endure. And it was a valuable covenant because salt was expensive. We have our own expressions about salt as well, don't we? Uh, we say, you know what, don't rub salt into my wound. Which I guess that would really hurt and, and even, I don't know, I mean it would probably heal a little quicker with some salt, right? Uh, we say, you know what, you got to take that with a grain of salt, right? Which, let I me mean, think about that, why would I take salt with that, you know? Um, or we say that, you know what, that person, they're really worth their, their, their salt. Or we can salt something away and that's where we kind of secretly hide something and put it away like maybe a retirement fund, you got to salt that away. Because salt uh, preserves, although in our economy, a lot of our retirements have not been preserved. As I heard someone once say that his 401k became a K. <laughs> okay, like what am I going to do now? K. <laughs> salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Let's read it for the context. Keep in mind that Jesus had been had, at the tail of the Beatitudes had been speaking about those who were persecuted for his sake on account of him and for righteousness to rejoice and be glad for their reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, same thought right from there into the next thought of, of, of God in the flesh. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven." Okay, in Jesus' day, salt was valuable. In fact, Roman soldiers were oftentimes paid with salt. <laughs> All right? Okay, thanks for winning that battle for us. Here you go. Clunk, <laughs> big clunk of salt, right? Interesting. Woo, bonus. <laughs> and the expression worth his salt came from that payment. Salt was used to preserve meats and to slow decay. Christians should have a preserving influence in our culture. If we're salty, salt adds flavor. Uh, disciples of Christ should be like salt because they add flavor uh, to the community or to the workplace or to the world or to their uh, society. Salt creates thirst. That's why when you go to McDonald's and get those French fries, you have to get something to drink because you're thirsty because they just pour it on there. Right? No disrespect to anyone who works at McDonald's because, you know, some people may go, hey, we're cutting back on our salt or whatever. I don't know. There are certain restaurants that we sort of like to go to, but we don't because we know in advance we're going to have to drink like 12 or 14 ounces of water before we get there because it's going to be salty. And we go, and sometimes we don't, and, and when we leave, we go, why did we go there? It's so much salt. 
It's like you want to go to the back and say, okay, who's like the main guy here or gal? Could you like ease up on the salt, please? Salt creates thirst. Christians by their lifestyles, by our lifestyle, should be creating thirst in others for the Lord. We should add piquancy to society. That was a new word for me, piquancy. I had to actually go online and play the little thing that tells you how to pronounce it because I just, I was sure I wasn't pronouncing it right. You know, you can do that, right? Even with English words. I'm like, what is that? Piquancy is a, a pleasantly sharp or appetizing flavor. Uh, these tomatoes have an intense flavor of great piquancy. Your tomatoes have an intense flavor. She's the tomato lady, by the way, if you want to know. Wave your hand, Oak. Wave your hand. Thank you. It's a quality of being pleasantly stimulating or exciting. Okay? You are the salt of the earth. You are the hope of the world. God does not have a plan B. It's you and me and all of us together, the church. And he says, if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. Lost saltiness. Carson said this, a Bible expositor, most salt in the ancient world derived from salt marshes or the like, rather than by evaporation of salt water, and therefore contained many impurities. The actual salt being more soluble than the impurities could be leached out, leaving a residue so dilute it was, worth, it was of little worth. And so, so how do we lose our saltiness? Jesus said, hey, salty people, you know what? You can lose your saltiness. And, and I think, oh, wow. I mean, like, I mean, like really, what, what good is salt that's not salty? Uh, no, nothing. I mean, I think that if, like, some people love salt, they put it on everything. They put it on food before they taste food. They go to a restaurant, and it's like, whoo, I can't wait to eat these enchiladas. And I'm like, do you even know if that needs salt? Or you just, uh, it's automatic. But I wonder if you put, like, fake salt now, that's what I would do. I would put like, I mean, I mean, is there like a salt substitute or, oh no, not a substitute, like a total fake salt. And you put it out there and they put it on there. Oh, they go, mmm, that tastes good. I think their brains would go, nah, man, this is not, this is fake salt right here. I don't know, just things I think about, right? How do we lose our saltiness? We lose our preserving ability when we don't bring the word of God into situations that need it. We lose our preserving. We do. The, the, the Word of God does not diminish in what it is, in the core of what it is, but we lose our saltiness when we don't bring the Word of God into a situation. You know, maybe you're at the workplace and, you know, there's a break room or, or just some talking going on and you happen to walk up and no, no, they don't realize you're there because you're the Christian in the office and they don't like to have certain discussions around you. And that's, that, you can tell how salty you are by what people say around you. If it's like, hey, come here, you got to hear this. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, you need, you need to work on that. Yeah, or maybe they don't see you and they say, hey, girl, you know what happened Saturday night? Let me tell you. And, and, and they just... 
they go on and then you hear that and something inside you grieves and there's something of the Holy Spirit within you that says, you need to bring these folks my word. Speak up, say something. And you go, yeah, but God, they won't like me. Or, you know, man, I don't want to get involved in anyone's business. Like they're telling the whole office, but you don't want to get involved, right? And, and it's like, you know, there's an opportunity. We lose our preserving ability when we don't bring the word of God into situations that need it in love, regardless of what people may think. Because someone in that crowd may need to hear that word. You're salty. God's placed you where you are so that you would be a voice for him. We lose our flavor when we don't bring the Christian worldview into the marketplace. We don't bring it into school. Uh, 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 you know, there's that saying, hey, listen, um, uh, you know, we don't want your Christianity here. You know, leave your Christianity at home. Uh, you know, you can't separate Christianity, who we are, the fiber of who we are, with what we do. Uh, we can't separate that. There was a time when one of our former presidents had a major moral failure, and people said things like this, we don't care what he lives privately as long as the economy's good. But you know what? If someone will lie here, will they not lie publicly? How can you say that doesn't matter? Because you can't separate who you are in private and who you are in public. You, you, can't, you can't leave your Christianity at home. Listen, boss, with all due respect, I'm not working for you. The reason that I'm such a hard worker is because I love the Lord with all my heart. And he calls me to work by the sweat of my brow and to work hard for his glory. That's why I work hard. It's not because of you or my paycheck. No, with all due respect, boss, I'm not, I'm not telling the truth in this situation because, because uh, uh, that's just what, it's the right thing to do. It's because I'm a follower of Christ, and because I'm a follower of Christ, I live in the truth, therefore I speak truth. And it has nothing to do with society or situation. It's who I am. Now, if I don't bring that into the workplace, I might not work all that hard. If I compartmentalize my Christianity and I say, well, you know what, on Sunday I'm a Christian, but on Monday, you know, whatever, dude. Okay. Okay. No, no. It's all, I am who I am because of my relationship. How can you separate Christ from me in anything that I do? And we lose our flavor when we don't bring the Christian worldview into the marketplace or into school or into whatever it might be. It's like a young man after service who came up and says, pray for me, man. I'm going back to school. I said, where are you going to school? He said, Arizona State. I said, oh, we need to get hands laid on you, boy. Woo, you think Las Vegas is a party school. Arizona State is off the hazy when it comes to partying and stuff and such. It's, 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 it's a party school. And he asked for prayer. And I said, man, go be salt. Go be light. Surround yourself with other people who, who, who want to make a difference. For the, Don't, don't. Hey, listen, you're either going to be a, a catalyst or you're going to be a sponge. You're, you're either going to make a difference for Christ or you're going to absorb the world. And if you absorb the world, you lose your saltiness. Mark Brunette, Burnett, sorry, four-time Emmy Award winner, executive producer of Survivor, The Voice, The Apprentice, and the Bible miniseries. <laughs> Name one of the world's most influential people by Time magazine, has a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame, and a full-on born-again believer in Jesus. After all, he's married to an angel. One of the gals in touch by an angel. He's married to her. He's as salty as can be. See, he brings his Christianity with him. Now, when he comes to the party, you know what you get. Now, how are you going to invite Ronald McDonald to the party and get upset when he talks about hamburgers? 
Uh, that's who he is. He's going to talk about Jesus. He's going to, that's a little bit slow right there. It's, I, I, I didn't share that at the early service because I didn't think they'd get it. And I was wondering if I should have shared that then. But you understand. He has brought his Christianity right into a place of, of great need. Uh, how many of you would agree with me? We need more executive producers who are born again and who are producing things that, 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 that have a godly flavor and influence and who are making a difference in how. And I'm glad to see that, that, that Christian media and Christian movies are, are, are yeah, because it used to be you didn't really want to bring anybody to a Christian movie, you know, because the editing was kind of whack and, you know, the storyline was like predictable. Okay, let me guess. They all get born again, right? Okay, and that was cool for them, but they've made major strides. I mean, they're, 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 they've made major. There's, there's great, awesome movies out there that are produced by born-again people. And that's, what, that's bringing Christianity into the workplace. That's a young person who says, I don't want to just go be a doctor. I want to be a Christian doctor. Uh, that's someone who says, I don't want to just go be an accountant. Man, I want to be an accountant for Jesus. I don't want to just be involved in sports. Man, I want to do it for the Lord, for His glory. There's a difference in that. And I'm going to bring it with me. Okay? We lose our ability to create thirst when our life is no different than those who, who don't follow Jesus. Let me say it again. We lose our ability to create thirst when our life is no different than those who don't follow Jesus. Luke 10, 2, Jesus said to them, the harvest indeed is abundant. There is much ripe grain, but the farmland, farm hands are few. The laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so, you know what? We say, Lord, you said that the, the harvest was plentiful and there's fruit dropping on the ground. But where are the laborers? And so he says that we need to, to pray. But I, I, just, I just thought about this and it, it hit me in my heart. Do I care? <laughs> Do I care about lost people? I mean, really, is it a matter of I just, I'm, you know, I can get so wrapped up in, 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 in my own Christianity and, hey, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven, that it's almost like I don't care. Now, I, I do care, but, but do I prioritize it? I mean, I, mean, I mean, do I really care about lost people? Does it matter to me? Does it affect me? Do I see uh, when, I, when I go and I eat at a restaurant, salty or not, and, and I, do I care about that waiter or waitress? You know, when I drop off clothes at dry cleaning or when, I, when, I, do I, you know, when I'm in line someplace, do I care about the person behind me who's maybe having a rough day? Do I care if they know Jesus or not? And everyone's style of being salty and being light is different than others. It's not like you have to do it one way, but God's created you in a specific way. God's give you, given you a realm of influence that's different than mine. And can we, can we say as a church, Lord, help me to be more, Lord, help me to care. I mean, do I believe that my neighbors, if they die not knowing Christ, they'll go to hell for all eternity? Do I really believe that? And if I do believe it, does it stir me to action? Does it make me want to talk about more than sports and barbecue and even gardening with them? Does it make me want to say, say, hey, so let me ask you this. I mean, you know, do you ever go to church or do you have a Bible or do I even care enough to ask of people that are in my face every day? Or does it just not matter? Or am I just too preoccupied with life? Or am I too busy? And those are all things that, I, I, that are the issues with me. 
<laughs> so I'm getting my car smogged, right? And I go to one place because it's cheap. Uh, my auto repair, I don't mind, you know, giving their name. Ten bucks, I'm out of there. And, and so I, I leave and, and the Holy Spirit just, there's a, there's a young man behind the counter and he's like, I think he's like, like, sometimes I just see people in the context of them being at church. And I'm like, that dude would be an awesome, like, not customer service rep, but like greeter, you know? Because he's so fired up all the time, you know? And I'm thinking about him in the church context, right? And, but, you know, and, you know, and I'm not trying to take anyone's work time and like, hey, man, can I tell you the four spiritual laws in 15 minutes? Or like, when's your next break? Okay, I'm not trying to do that. And I'm not even thinking about, and, and I'm just thinking about that. And I, I go to leave. And, you know, and it's like the Holy Spirit prompts me. This is me, not you. This is maybe different. The Holy Spirit prompts me and says, you need to go invite him to church. And I'm like, oh, man. Come on, I got my car started. The air is on already. This isn't the best of neighborhoods, Lord. I'm going to walk out here. My car is going to be gone. You know, I start thinking I got like a million excuses, right? I mean, this guy might think, okay, what is that? Dude, where are you from? I don't know. I'm embarrassed. I, and I think, oh, and I, oh, I don't have any cards. Oh, look, there's a whole stack full. All right. So I get a card and I walk in and there's other people around and listening. I said, hey, man, you know, we have a church. We just love Jesus, man. And you know, I don't know if you got, if you, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to have some long conversation, but if you just, I don't know, I just felt led to give you this. And he goes, whoa, where's this at? I said, uh, R- Rancho and Alexander, right behind the Sinclair. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll be there Sunday. He goes, no, I'm golfing this Sunday. I'll be there next Sunday. And I went, okay, <laughs> great. And then he said, I really need this. I don't know if he needs it or not. I don't know if he'll be here or not. And I wouldn't have shared that story if he was here. <laughs> but he may come. And it's just like, am I, now, I felt like the Lord was, just, now was that all that difficult, son? <laughs> you know? You should act like you were pulling teeth. Right? But I want to I always be thinking about that. And really just, maybe just being open to the Lord. Because I don't feel like I have to just do that every time. But when the Lord prompts me, I want to do it. See the difference? I mean, you could just, you know, scatter gospel tracts all over the place and whoever picks them up, fine. And, and maybe, you know, I mean, or you could say, Lord, show me who. See, see, I want to pray that. Lord, is there anyone in my life today that you want me to share with? That, that's what I want. And I'm not there yet. How about you? I'm working on it. But I want to at least care. And if I don't care... I want to say, Lord, do a work in me. And I want to be able to pray that those in my realm of influence might come to know Jesus. I want to be able to pray, Lord, send your laborers into the field. Start with me. Uh, Livingwaters.com. Let me give you that website if you want to write it down. Livingwaters.com has an amazing... um, I'm just going to sh- turn this down a little bit because it's not on. <laughs> um, has an amazing array of, of gospel tracks that, that you could, you know, you know, you go to a restaurant maybe and you throw a gospel track in there and, 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 and you know, you got to leave a good tip now. Don't be leaving no, 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 no bad tips saying, you know, God loves you. Well, man, God may love you, but you sure don't, you know. 
what was that? You know, I don't want to go to that church. That's the stingy church. <laughs> God so loved, he gave. Sister, you didn't give nothing up in here. I'm trying to survive, you know. Right? I'm just saying, livingwaters.com, creative gospel tracks. Maybe you just have a stack of those. And you just say, Lord, however you would have me to give this, help me to be willing to do that. And maybe that will stir a conversation. I don't know. I want to be intentional about investing in relationships with people outside the church. Um, we're so busy, right? And, and, and we can surround ourselves with Christian people. One of our core values here is koinonia. That's intimate, deep fellowship. Not just surface stuff, but deep. We want that. But one of our other core values is multiplication. That is, we want to spread the news locally and abroad. We want to be able to multiply ourselves. And, and you know, you could surround yourself. You could, you, all of your friends are Christian. Uh, your dentist is Christian. Your mechanic is Christian. You know, everybody. And you can never come in contact with lost people. And, and you know what? I, I just want to be open to investing in relationships with people outside the church. Because it's easy to insulate ourselves. I, I want to live the life of the Sermon on the Mount. And by living that, we'll be salt. Live these things, and they're difficult, and they're challenging. But if we live out the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be the salt of the earth. We will be. Now, in these days, the residue, they take the salt, all this residue, impurities are left. It's of no value. And so they would take this stuff and they'd throw it on the sidewalks. Much like we would throw gravel on a sidewalk. And then people would just walk on it. It's better than walking on dirt. But it's of no value. Jesus said, other than to be trampled underfoot by men. He said, it's good for nothing anymore. Our Christian testimony is thrown out and of no value if we lose our saltiness. We lose our voice when we lose our saltiness. And, and you say, hey, wait a minute. I go to church. I go, hey, man, oh, we don't even want to hear from you because we know how you live. Oh, okay, well, I won't say nothing there. See, we lose our testimony. And Jesus said it would be good for nothing. Could you imagine? My testimony could be good for nothing if I lose my song. It doesn't mean a thing. Richie, no one's listening to you because of the way you live your life. You have no testimony. It's good for nothing. Ah, oh, man, I read that and it just struck me in my heart that, that all that Christ did for me and how far that he's brought me and where I stand solely by grace and because of him is of no value any place because no one's listening because of, the, because of my lifestyle. And there's no salt. You know what, man? We hear you, but it's not having any effect because there's no salt in there. And Jesus said, that's good for nothing. And it occurred to me that if I'm not being salty, then I'm not fulfilling one of the core objectives that Christ wants of me. If I'm not salty. And that must be disappointing to him. And I'm trying not to be disappointing to the Lord. So I'm working on it. How about you? I'm working on it. We get so consumed with life that we forget people are going to hell in droves and it and i don't think about it and it's not right church it's not right it's not right for me and my context is different than your context but it's not right it is not 
right that I have this gift and I don't dole it out. It's not right. It's not right. And we're all growing in what that means. And I just felt like this would encourage us. Because now he says that, verse 14, you're the light of the world, church. You are the hope of the world. And God does not have a plan B. And he says, you're the light of the world. Wow. A city on a hill cannot, uh, uh, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now God is light. 1 John 1, 5 says, there, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. His Word is light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is light. John 8, 12, Then Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Then He says, and He turns to the people 2,000 years ago and He points at you and says, You are the light of the world. <laughs> and they went, Ooh. No, no, no. God no, you're the light of the world. He goes, no, you are the light of the world. Because that's who God is, and that's to be emanated through you and me. Ah, light doesn't shine from us, but we reflect the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus. The purpose of light is to shine in darkness. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The Christian who lives out his message will shine in a world of darkness. Example, Christian rapper Lecrae. Challenging lyrics. Deep theology in his rap music. Christ-centered became the first Christian to win a Grammy. Uh, the first hip-hop artist to win a Grammy award uh, in the Grammys this past season. You can check out his album called Gravity. It's the one winning the Grammy. You know, when you make that turn into Las Vegas, coming from California, maybe you come from San Diego, or you came from like Newport Beach or something, and you make that last turn in, you can see that you can see the uh, the uh, uh, the shadows of you can see you can see the lights, the outer edges of the lights before, and then you make that last turn, and then bang, there it is, Las Vegas, and you see it, and it's lit up, and you think, what in the world am I doing living here? <laughs> like. Man, I just left San Diego, man. Surely there's got to be something down there. Average year on temperature, 73 degrees. But, and, and you see Las Vegas and you go, look at the lights. Now imagine if Las Vegas was on a hill. It, it, boy, you'd see it even from a further distance. Uh, don't hide the light that is within you. Put it on a lampstand to give light to all who are in the house. See, it turns out my message, our calling, and our life is not solely about us, but others. We were not saved for ourselves, but for others. We were blessed to be a blessing. So how do we shine? Verse 16 tells us, let your light shine in the church. 
No. Let it shine where? Before men. In such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we come together on Sunday and there's all this light in here. And people are lit up. They're, they've been with Jesus all week and, and they're fired up and they receive a word of encouragement. And it's like, man, there's this big light, this big spotlight in here. He says, now go out there and be a laser beam. Go out there and let your light shine before men because they're the ones who need to see it. They're the ones living in darkness. They're the ones that need a word. They're the ones that need a testimony. They're the ones that need salt. They're the ones that need light, not the church. And so go out there. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. St. Francis of Assisi used to always say, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Let your life speak before your speech speaks. Let your testimony pave the way and let your service to others give you the opportunity to tell them why you serve. We have to earn that right nowadays. You don't get it anymore. There was a time in America where you got a stage. You don't get a stage anymore. You have to earn that right. And that's all right. Ah. He says, by our works, by what we do, by how we live, it's something they can see. It's by living the precepts of this Sermon on the Mount. Well, let's hear it for 11-year-old Grace Evans, who was a light in a place of darkness. Thank you, brothers. Appreciate that. She's not here, but... She managed to stump a whole group of Grown-ups, but not just any grown-ups, testifying on a same-sex marriage bill before the Minnesota House Committee on Sex spoke from experience. Did I mention she was 11 years old? She talked about her mom, kind, thoughtful, gentle, beautiful, her dad, strong, wise, and different from her mom, and how each brings things to her life in unique ways. The other could not. Mom as role model, dad as protector, giving her confidence as she grows into a woman. Quote, even though I'm only 11 years old, I know that everyone deserves to have a mom and a dad, Grace said. I don't think that we can change that, uh, that children need a mom and a dad. I believe God made it that way. Then she closed. I know some disagree, but I want to ask you a question. Which parent do I not need, my mom or my dad? Long silence. I'll ask again, which parent do I not need, my mom or my dad? Even longer silence. And the article says we're still waiting for an answer and something tells us we'll be waiting for a long time. Love to single mothers who are, who are heroes in my eyes, who are getting it done. And single fathers as well who are towing the line and being everything they can be for their children because that other spouse isn't there for whatever reason it may be. Makes it difficult. But she's right. And she was willing to shine a light. So Spurgeon says this, Poor world, poor world. It is dark and gropes in midnight and it cannot get light except it receives it through us. To be the light of the world surrounds life with the most stupendous responsibilities. And so invests 
it with the most solemn dignity. Hear this, you humble men and women, ye who have made no figure in society. Ye are the light of the world. If you burn dimly, dim is the world's light and dense its darkness. Now, the Lord always gives us a purpose. He always gives us a reason. Why should we do this? Why should we be salty? Why should we be light? I mean, really, what's the point? And he tells us, it's not about us. He says at the end of verse 16, glorifying your Father who is in heaven. We sing the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. What's the next part? And it's all about you. See, if it's all about you, then we'll lose our saltiness and we'll shine, if at all, very dimly. But if it's not about us and it's all about him, you know, we'll be salty. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be shining bright. Brother Jesse um, <laughs> was here at the earlier service and he said this. He said, he, said, he said, man, he goes, I'm working on being a light, bro. He goes, but sometimes I got just a little spark of electricity. <laughs> I said, brother, I understand. I understand because that's at times where we all are. But I think if we're willing and we ask that God will open up some opportunities for us. That the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Now, in order to do that, it's going to take courage. Right? And not courage to face a firing squad for Jesus, but courage to speak the truth. Courage to tell someone what's happened in our life. Courage to stand up uh, like this young lady, Grace Evans, did. Courage to stand firm. Courage in the midst of fears. Courage to tell, speak the gospel to some people that, that you know, might be a little unruly. It's going to take some courage. That's when we have to pray the Joshua 1-9 prayer. Be strong and very courageous. And be not afraid. Neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1-9. I have a video, uh, a, a song that I want to play for you. It's in... It's an old school song, not as in the hymns, but it is a classic song by a man who was used greatly by God to light a fire under the church. His name is Keith Green. He's long since gone to be with the Lord, but his music transcends time and is powerful. Listen to the music, but pay attention to the words. Uh, it's a challenge to us all. If you guys would play that, if you would.
afternoon how many would say and you know what I, there was a time in my life when I was salty as can be and I wasn't obnoxious or rude or you know just trying to carve another notch on the old belt uh, I wasn't just trying to win an argument but God I was salty I was I mean I, I uh, it's almost like I this relationship with you was so fresh and so new and I was so fired up about it that man I shared Christ everywhere I went I mean, I would pull off on the side of the road and talk to people, or I would go back into my auto repair and talk to people, or I would, uh, God, not because I was trying to gain points, not because I was trying to, you know, hope that you would love me if I did this, because that's the wrong motive. Multitudes and multitudes of people will knock on your door believing that if they don't do that, they won't have God's love because they don't know that they have God's love. But God, I I, I remember a time when I when I would... I'd drive across town to, to, for one, when it was inconvenient for one lost person. And, and, and Lord, I'm, I'm convicted this morning. And to that I say good, because that's what we want to do. We want to convict you. I, I want to convict myself. Believe me, it passes through me first. But you know what else? I also want to pray for those who, who, are, who feel condemned. They feel like, man, I have no testimony. God, I know that I'm your child. I've lost my saltiness. It's just not there. God, my choices in my life, I feel like have ruined my testimony. Like I can never tell anyone about Christ again. That's not true. That's not true. And so maybe you would say, man, I just, Lord, just, I want to give my heart to you afresh and anew. Or maybe you want to come to Christ for the first time and receive forgiveness for your sins. There's no other way. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And that we're, we're guilty of breaking God's law. And the only way to get right with God is to agree with him that you're a sinner and that you need his grace, which can only come from Jesus. And so, you know, I want to challenge you this morning as I challenge myself. And I know I have some ideas of what I'm going to do. And it might be different than what you do but I want you to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Then, then I, I mean, I, I'd be good with that, you know, and it'll be different for you than it will for you, than it will for you, than it will for me, but that's okay. There's no one way, but, but I want to just pray, and I want to pray for those who might just say, gosh, man, I, uh, I want to, Lord, uh, I want to be there. Lord Jesus, um, your word um, always does something, <laughs> even if it's rejected. <laughs> it does something. 
And yet I know and I believe, God, that your word is received in this place or else these folks wouldn't be here. And so, Lord, um, I just want to pray for anyone who would say, yeah, I've lost my saltiness without a doubt. I want to pray for anyone who would say, you know what, man, I've made some bad choices, decisions in my life, and I feel like I just cannot um, tell anyone about Jesus. And I want to repent and turn from that. Or someone who may say, I just want Christ in my life. I, I want Jesus. I, I need him. He's been calling me and drawing me, and, and today I want to say yes. And so first, if I could have a prayer team, come on up. Guys, you know who you are. Come on up for.